Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I'm your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Dan Spihar. Dan has co-authored two recently published papers on the effectiveness of TNR at reducing free-roaming cat populations and has been conducting research on community cats and their management since 2013. Along with co-author Peter Wolf, he will be presenting the findings of a case study examining an iconic TNR program on the central waterfront in Newburyport, Mass. at the 2018 HSUS Animal Care Expo. Dan is co-founder of the Together Initiative for Ohio's Community Cats, an organization committed to promoting and facilitating collaboration among community cat stakeholders, as well as conducting public education and community outreach. He also works to enact animal-friendly legislation and public policy as a senior district leader volunteer for the Humane Society of the United States. Dan, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Stacy. Thanks for having me. So how did you get started and, and develop a passion for cats? Well, my passion for cats probably goes back to early childhood. My family always had cats. And then my wife and I always kept a number of cats in our home. And then in 2003, my familiarity with, with feral cats began. We were putting a home addition on our house in the spring, and it was muddy outside. There were construction workers going in and out. And suddenly these four young, not real young, maybe about four-month-old kittens began visiting our yard. Uh, so my initial reaction was just to rescue the cats, of course, and, and find them homes. And I was able to do that with one who was rather friendly, and my brother adopted him. Um, but it turned out he wasn't nearly as friendly when he got indoors. He hid under my brother's bed for about three months, mm. just coming out at night when the coast was clear to eat. Um, and the other cats that were still outside were very skittish, and I couldn't get near them to try to put them in a carrier. So I learned of TNR and began doing some research on my own about it. Um, I didn't know how to trap a cat or where to get a trap or anything else at that point. So it took me a number of weeks to finally acquire some traps and, and try to catch these other cats that were still visiting the yard. Well, by the time I had any luck, a couple of the cats weren't coming around anymore, but one uh, female, beautiful tortoise shell cat, I was able to catch her and uh, another cat that was coming around by that point, a male cat that was interested in her, a big gray uh, tabby. I caught both of them, and they, they lived as my patio, as their home base for the next decade or so. But they were actually feral cats. I, I never touched either one of them up until the, the female was near the very end of her life, and, and she was a little more lenient about us getting near her. So that was my introduction to TNR. I had a relative who lived nearby, and... They had a number of community cats or stray and feral cats frequenting their yard, and I trapped many cats over there. So that was my introduction to TNR. As far as research is concerned, I've, I've owned a number of small businesses over the course of the last three decades or so, none having to do with animals. But about five or six years ago, I decided I really wanted to dedicate the rest of my career to the benefit of animals because they're so often abused or neglected or exploited. And I wasn't necessarily thinking of limiting 
limiting myself to cats. However, as I said, I've always lived with cats, and I certainly have an affinity for cats, so they were kind of a natural place to focus my attention originally. I had to complete a thesis project as part of an online master's degree I was pursuing, so I decided to take my experiences with TNR and investigate collaborative efforts in the management of community cats here in my home state of Ohio. That project started me on the path to doing the additional research I've been fortunate enough to be a part of over the past couple of years. Wow, that's actually that's fascinating information. And the sheer fact that you were able to see that the value in doing some research to try and be able to understand this cat overpopulation situation that, that we're faced with to be able to, to communicate that out. So how did you discover Newburyport and how did that project come about? Well, in doing research, especially a literature review for, for my thesis, I encountered mentions of Newburyport uh, multiple times in the literature and then in you know, the non-scientific literature as well. And, and it was really held out as one of the iconic examples of successful TNR on a community level. So when we, when we set out to pick a community or a program that would be worthy of uh, in-depth examination, Newburyport came to mind right away. Yet even though it was out there in the literature and in, in many places, there, there really wasn't an in-depth look at, at what happened there. And we didn't really know uh, what we would uncover when the investigation began. There was a, a lack of statistical data, we found. So we approached the study as a more of a qualitative, descriptive analysis of the available evidence. And there was quite a bit of available evidence, even though there wasn't population data uh, for the cats that were there in Newburyport. For example, we examined newspaper accounts. There were, there were dozens of newspaper accounts. There were surviving documents, meeting minutes, internal newsletters, and other uh, miscellaneous documents. And then I was fortunate enough to interview the principals involved, even though this program began in 1992, we were able to talk directly with people who participated or witnessed what happened there. And I'm sure you are well aware of what happened there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, when it was happening, when I was involved with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society starting back in 1994, what we were doing didn't feel anything unique or strange. It just seemed to make a lot of practical sense. Why is it important for us to have a case study like this? Well, I think what it does is it, it offers some insight into, as you say, what, what the motivations are for these types of programs, how they play out, and the uh, adaptability of a program like yours in, in uh, Newburyport. A couple of things that, that we found there that really stood out. Well, first, the basic facts that uh, it became clear as the uh, evidence came uh, to bear that there were an estimated 300 free-roaming cats on the waterfront there in Newburyport in 1992 when TNR efforts began. And by the end of 2009, there were no more resident cats on the waterfront. That became pretty clear from all the evidence. There was nothing that, that countered those assertions. And it's all the more remarkable when you consider that this at the time it began was a pioneering effort that started from scratch without all the various resources that are available today. Also very interesting were, as I mentioned, the adaptability of, of what took place there. A number of innovations uh, were applied there that are now part of best practices in TNR programs everywhere. 
like pairing TNR with adoption, the cultivating of an array of collaborative community partners. In fact, there the Chamber of Commerce was involved from the, the very beginning. Um, intensive trapping in targeted areas where high density of free roaming cats reside. Uh, the utilization of feeding logs to track attendance and activity at colony sites. Um, not to mention that you open there a, a cat's only limited admission shelter, which provided the community with an alternative to abandonment for unwanted cats. So all those things, even though you entered it as uh, as a mission to reduce the number of cats and solve a serious civic problem, as it was termed in the local paper there, uh, when the program began, you worked through a number of issues and, and made all these adaptations to your program, which in the end resulted in all those cats being eliminated in a humane way from the waterfront. We also, you know, many of those points are uh, references to what we call a toolkit now, you know, the different components that you need when dealing with community cats, different different pieces of the toolkit. It's not just about trap, neuter, return. There are other supportive components to it to make it a successful program in the community. Right, right. It's it's really true that TNR is really interrelated with whatever is going on in terms of animal welfare in a community. It's 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 one component, an important component, um, but it's it's just one component, and it's it's really is going to be most successful if it's tied into these other uh, components. And I will admit, in the early days, one of the biggest challenges was finding affordable spay-neuter costs for the feral cats. We were lucky enough to have a veterinarian, two veterinarians actually donate a fair amount of their services, but it certainly was was not free. And at that point in time, we were paying about $125 for a spay and probably $90 for a neuter for, you know, the waterfront cats. So that was a huge challenge for us on the financial side, considering we were just a very small organization without much fundraising capabilities at the time. And it, it wasn't until 2000 when we started our free Sunday spay neuter clinics that really helped support make that an affordable possibility for us as well as for others in, in other parts of the state. Well, I can tell you just from, from the thesis research I did here in Ohio, there were three takeaways basically from, from what I did here in that there was a, a general willingness on the part of both public and private uh, stakeholders to work together, although there was a lot of uncertainty about how to get started or how to go about that. There was, number two, a strong preference for non-lethal management of stray and feral cats, and that's both among private and public stakeholders. And three, as you just mentioned, there was a widespread need for better access to low-cost spay-neuter services, um, and that's really uh, an impediment to you know folks in a lot of places still, unfortunately. Are you new to the Community Cats podcast? Don't know what to listen to first? Feel free to check out the Listening Module tab, where we have grouped shows together by topic so you can listen to a bunch of shows around the same topic. Just click on the Listening Module tab at www.communitycatspodcast.com and enjoy learning about community cats. (coughs) Have you spoken with your vet about the Feline Fix by Five Months campaign? Fix by Five is a program to raise awareness about the importance of getting kittens fixed before they are five months old in order to prevent unplanned litters. Fix by Five has now been endorsed by all the major national veterinary organizations. We urge you now to make sure that your vet 
has this information and is able to share it with clients. To get the full story, check out Fix by Five Months website. Google Fix by Five to get all the information. Again, Google Fix by Five for free vet info packets, media kits, articles, and more. Remember, Fix by Five saves lives. Yeah, it's I, it's a question I get asked very often is somebody wants to start a TNR group, uh, but if they don't have access to affordable spay-neuter, I really try and direct them in the direction of starting that a type of a program in their community because it's really a necessary first step. Right, right. It's fundamental to the whole process. And, and, and I myself, when I began doing TNR, based upon my limited ability to, to look for resources, I, they were really scarce. And I went to my own vet, who had been my vet for a while, and, and she was willing to, she was no expert on TNR by any means, but she was willing to at least take the cats, sterilize them, treat them, and she would even hold them overnight for me so I could bring them back and release them. But the cost, you know, she didn't discount the cost or anything, so mm. it was quite prohibitive. Um, so, yeah, you're right. That's that's an essential part of any TNR program. So you'll be presenting this article at the 2018 HSUS Animal Care Expo, and I believe that's in May. Is that correct? That is correct. That's uh, in May in Kansas City, and I'll be doing that along with Peter Wolf, uh, my co-author. It's it's part of a, a, a larger uh, segment uh, involving Brian Cordes and uh, Desiree Trist Aragon, um, who will be talking about uh, case studies in New York and uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico as well. Is there a way that we could find the article online? Yeah, it's, it's available uh, in an open access online journal called Animals. That can be Googled. You can locate it on Google Scholar. Or um, I am part of a organization here in Ohio called the Together Initiative for Ohio's Community Cats, and it's available on our website, which is communitycatsohio.org. And if I were trying to promote Trap New to Return in my community, um, would you recommend that we put this in the package to the folks that we would present to to help convince that this is a good thing to do? I would definitely do that. I, I think that Community leaders, municipal leaders really want to see where this has been successful in other places. Um, so the, the Newburyport example is is tremendous. I mean, to to eliminate 300 free roaming cats from the waterfront, about a third of which were adopted out. And so those numbers went down pretty quickly. And then the others were uh, eliminated through attrition, you know, of course, over time. The other paper that, that we published recently was an example in a Chicago neighborhood where a citizen scientist could practice TNR on 20 existing colonies in her neighborhood, about just under a half square mile area around her home. And uh, she saw a 54% reduction in the mean size from entry level in those colonies in an 82% reduction from peak levels over a 10-year period. So that's another example that I'm sure municipal leaders would be interested in. Yeah, a larger scale and and you know a, a larger community. I mean, every community wants to try and compare apples to apples in terms of community size. So I think we need to have some case studies at all levels. Exactly. Exactly. So we have uh, Newburyport, which 
at the time, I believe it was about 16,000 people. Now it's closer to 18 or 19. And this, this Chicago neighborhood itself, Humboldt Park, is about 56,000 people. You know, and of course, it's in Chicago, which is uh, two and a half million or so. So uh, no matter how you want to look at it and, and whatever size uh, looking at beginning, uh, you can look to other examples where TNR has been successful. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Together Initiative for Ohio's Community Cats? What what does the organization do? Okay, that was kind of an outgrowth from my thesis uh, research. What I uh, I took my thesis to one of actually one of the uh, subjects of the study, Toby Franks, who's a legendary legendary TNR trapper here in Ohio. He's trapped about eleven hundred cats or so himself. And then we brought on board another uh, feline advocate, Tabitha Casera, who's really a dynamo. But anyway, what we really have a two-pronged mission. First is education and outreach, which is extremely important, but, but not all that unique. But the second is uh, the more unique aspect of what we do is we try to promote and facilitate collaboration. We have a growing network of nearly 150 members uh, both organizations and individuals who have committed to non-lethal approaches to managing community cats and working together to accomplish their goals. So we run workshops, we host networking events, and an annual summit each October, and uh, we provide web-based information and resources. And, uh, you know, we're always looking to expand those. So, And how... How are things for community cats in Ohio? What does what does it look like to you? Um, it's it's really kind of a, a hodgepodge here in Ohio. We we don't have much uniformity in in what happens. Uh, it really varies by county and by uh, municipality. So another the goal of the Together Initiative is to kind of have a more of a central place where people can go to get information or to try to initiate relationships with other groups agencies or individuals to tackle their local community cat issues. Yeah, I, I think that doing anything, whether it's using technology uh, more or having more, I, I don't want to say we should be all planning workshops and, and meetups all the time, but having at some point in time where everybody can get together from the state is probably a really good idea to help uh, open up lines of communication so that then we can work together better because we're we're all not the same. We all have different skills and different strengths, even as organizations, and we need to be respectful of that, but we also need to figure out how we can work together to better amplify our successes. Exactly. I think a lot of those opportunities are under leverage just because people don't know how to go about establishing those relationships or aren't even aware of others that might have resources that they could take advantage of. So if uh, folks are interested in reaching out to you, Dan, with any questions or they want to find out more about the Newburyport study, or if they think they might have a community that might be worthy of being looked at, you know, and they might want to learn from you how to tell their story of success in their community, which I think the more that we can share of our successes, the better off we all are. How would they find you? Sure. Uh, I'd be happy to give you my email. It's Dan, D-A-N, Spihar, S like Sam, P like Paul, E-H-A-R, the number nine, danspihar9 at gmail.com. Or they can reach me uh, through communitycatsohio.org. And Dan, is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? 
Um, that, I would just two quick things. One, I wanted to thank all the Newburyport, Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, and all the other folks in the community there who assisted and cooperated with my investigation there, uh, our investigation there. They really took it seriously, and they really put a lot of effort into finding and uncovering uh, historical information, which uh, made my job easier. So I wanted to uh, express my thanks to them. And I wanted to just say that really I hope all of us can focus on our shared goal of fewer community cats and and not focus so much on, on the differences that we have and focus on establishing and working through the most humane and effective ways uh, to bring about that common goal. Great, Dan. I would like to also mention to our listeners, um, Dan, I'm not sure if you had the opportunity to interview uh, Nancy and Bob McNeil. Yes, I did. Uh, but they were one of the founders of Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, and they were actually the leading force in the trapping of many, many cats down on the waterfront. And unfortunately, Bob McNeil passed away a couple of months ago. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, so he's, um, as we talk about Newburyport so much in the show, I, I only can think of him and, and the work that Bob and Nancy have done, did so much over those years. We wouldn't be where we are today without their efforts. So, I heard so many good things about both of them, and I did have a chance to speak with both of them over the telephone. So that's that's really sad news. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it they this is their pride and joy though. They're so proud of the work that they they've done in Newburyport and the success and the fact that the story is out there and um, the MRFRS's website I believe has a video of the two of them talking about their history too because it's the 25th anniversary of the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society also. But yeah, so we I think of Bob quite a bit during this uh, interview today. But I want to thank you Dan so much for being a guest on the show. I look forward to reading more of your research. I hope you have the opportunity to do more case studies and continue to promote and advocate for uh, the best uh, TNR projects out there and programs and, and able to continue doing this great work that you're doing. So thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I hope we'll have you on in the future. Thank you so much, Stacey, and, and good luck with the wonderful podcast that, that you've established. If you like the Community Cats podcast and would like to help promote Community Cats in your state, then we need you. We're looking for a couple of people from each state to be Community Cats ambassadors. What do you get by being an ambassador? You'll be mailed a promo kit of items to use to help promote the show at any event that you attend in your state. If you don't attend many events, hey, that's okay too. Do you have a network of people that love Community Cats? You can help with email and groups in your state to let them know about the CCP and offer them the benefit of Community Cat Swag. The more we can spread the word about the show, the more we can do to help cats across the country. Please email Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com if you'd like to represent your state. Thank you. Ah!